0: Hello this morning. You might hear some things twice today, which I guess is a good thing. Um, part, of, part of Missions Watch, I guess what we're looking at this month, is to is to build a solid foundation that we can then use as a launching pad to, to where we want to um, take this project. So this morning I want to start off with reading parts of a letter from... The Wilmot that, uh, that they wrote a little while ago, that rather than me interpret what they've said, I just want to read what they've said just so that you get, you get their heart, you get their passion, and, and you get some insight as to, as to where they're going and what they're doing. And, and then I'm going to lead into a, a message that, that looks at uh, Philip on, on the road to Gaza when he meets the, the Ethiopian. And you can look at that at a number of different levels about obedience about, um, I guess, stepping out in faith of hearing, hearing God speak to us and, and what we do with that. That can be how we, how we operate here in our hometown. It can be whether we're called to go further out. So let's just start with, um, with this letter. I'm also going to have some, some photos that we're just going to play off the back. It's Saturday morning and the kids are half up, so I'll just write and see how we go. Excuse the mistakes. The work currently spans about 120 villages and maybe 200 kilometres. The people we work with are termed ultra-poor, meaning that families live on less than about 50 cents a day. One in three kids die before the age of five. One in three people would would be HIV positive. People are subsistence farmers. Low crops mean they go hungry. Illiteracy is probably 90 to 95%. Obviously, how the word is told and shared needs to be adapted. They're Islamic and have a strong African traditional religion. This hugely impacts how we do the work. I mention these factors because we get to know the leaders, and as they grow in their abilities and spirituality, they too are impacted by these statistics. It's not uncommon for seats at the leaders' meetings to be vacant due to their deaths. I don't need to go into how tough it would be to lose key church members in Australia. Well, it's the same here. There are always funerals. The work has a defined and strong structure, starting from the village environment through to the administrative centre. There are presently nine zones, and each zone has what is called a zonal leader, and there are three of these. Each life group itself has three leaders attached to it. Generally, the life group leaders are women, as 70% of our attendees are women. The zonal leaders are generally men, and this has been a cultural response. If we were to calculate those figures, you would see that we have a massive leadership base. Generally, the formal training are offered to a male leadership base of around 60 men and a female leadership base of around 120. A life group has an average attendance of about 40, which calculated over 120 life groups, gives us a base of around 5,000 people. We believe that we could call on a volunteer base of around a thousand people who would see themselves as part of life groups. Bringing the general leadership base, zonal leaders and life group leaders together, we have what is called an action group. Action groups take responsibility of around five leadership groups and their responsibilities are teaching, encouraging, mediation and reporting both to the chiefs and the appropriate leadership structures. Leaders meet in a neutral location once a fortnight. We believe discipleship and leadership are simultaneous. Because there are so many women involved, on an alternate fortnight, the women leaders and the other key people are trained. There are five stages to this training. And at these meetings, we spend time getting to know each other. This is exciting as people realise that they're part of something bigger than themselves. They're coming from over 200 kilometres and many of them wouldn't see each other apart from these, these key times together. There's prayer, there's testimonies. We look at issues arising. It could be a lack of food before harvest. It could be struggling to visit and teach when we're hungry or trying to gain some sort of extra income. It could be intrapersonal relationship issues. We spend time on reflection, reflecting on how things are going, where they've come from, where they are now, how they've handled situations, be that good or bad. Needs, harvest time needs, health issues, teaching, some practical things may be given, and spiritual teaching, which includes biblical, theological, and missiological emphasis, as well as more contextual issues, are studied. John purposely does not attend the whole of these meetings, which run primarily themselves and by the officers and key leaders. Part of this is because his whole philosophy is to do ourselves out of a job while building the capacity of Indigenous people by allowing them to build it themselves. He's also aware that our European shadow is cast very far and we feel strongly that for these people to truly move forward, it needs to be by our influence moving back. He is aware how much we can be salesmen of our own cultural values and pet theological opinions rather than servants of God ushering ushering in God's kingdom. John holds tightly to a theory that things can be setbacks or opportunities. So when something terrible happens, and it always does, he he does his best not to overreact, but to rather use it as a learning, teaching, training, and experience opportunity. The less we are involved, the better. So generally in a five-hour meeting, he may spend about 45 minutes in the meeting, and this would be a teaching capacity. He tries really hard to listen to what is going on so that he can articulate or advocate needs and issues. He works behind the scenes with the leaders, He also works on the holistic side of putting legs on the needs being expressed. What we do is not about changing religion or becoming something, but rather about entering into a relationship with God himself and his fullness as represented in and through Jesus. This is a long process for some, but they do start with a huge knowledge of God and a desire to want to love and to serve him. Chronological teachings, studies on the prophets... The character and nature of God, as well as the parables of Jesus, are part of the ways that people are taught. It would be hard to number how many of those attending fit the Western definition of Christianity, but we don't regard this as an important emphasis. We are more concerned about the direction and the focus of their lives, as long as people are moving towards and beyond the cross. That is what matters. We trust God for his work and his spirit to fulfil it. Basically, we're out of our depth. And we feel that what we're involved in is like a house of cards. But we are strongly impressed upon what we believe is God himself and believe that he is in control. Warm regards, Angela. It paints a pretty good picture, I think, about the opportunities that they have, the needs that they have, and, and I think sustainable practice. Having a social work background, um, myself, having a sustainable um, practice is about being able to step back so that the people are empowered themselves and to be able to continue the work that they've, that they've started, that the journey that they're on. And, and this opportunity that we have are going to have later this month to, to be able to, to give to this uh, leadership project I think is a great opportunity that encourages that. And it also sits well with our church vision of taking people on a journey and having them as a seed And as a seedling or a sprout and growing them through till they become mature trees and bear bear fruit i want to um today look at a passage out of acts and and as you're aware this month is missionary month and and our focus is on mission and whether you call mission mission whether you call mission evangelism whether you call it communicating the good news to the lost, however you want to picture it, whatever box you want to put it in, it's, it's all pretty important and vital. In fact, it's the vehicle that Jesus chose to use when he gave us the commission to go and make disciples. We're all missionaries. We're all evangelists. But mission can be more than, than leaving family or friends and going to another country where you don't know the language And there's more than a remote chance that you could be the next meal, but it could be that. Mission's not necessarily joining or partnering with another organisation that's associated to either a specific cause, a specific people group, or a specific country, but it could be. Somewhere in the scheme, we've decided that that mission, that evangelism, have become a vocational gift or a calling or a spiritual gift, rather than a life choice that that results out of spiritual conversion. Mission is deciding how, how we as an individual, how we as individuals are going to live out the truth and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. The Bible's full of passages that speak of evangelism, that speak of mission you can go to the local Christian bookstore and you can pull out a number of different books that have been written by the big churches and their leaders about how to be more effective in mission, how to make it less scary. We can read about the Apostle Paul in Acts. We can read about his, his journey and about his missions through Acts and through the other letters that he wrote. We can read about Billy Graham who many would say is the greatest modern-day evangelist. I went to a school in Melbourne where all of our house groups were named after missionaries. Flynn, Livingston, Peyton, Judson, Taylor, Marshman. Various methods. It's all out there. We understand what's going on. And, but there's been various methods, I think, that have portrayed mission and evangelism and have put it in the scary box that we go, I can't do that, that's not me. I don't relate to that, I'm not able to do that, that's not my gift, that's not my skills, that's not my area of expertise. Some of the approaches sound and appear pretty successful on the outside, but underneath they leave much to be desired. I wanna look at three of those approaches then I wanna finish with with a good approach. So that's the first approach, let's call it the red skin approach. And the philosophy behind that approach is, the more scalps, the better. The majority of, the major emphasis is, is numbers. It's getting numbers, notches on the belt. How many people every day you can maximise to talk about salvation regardless? Doesn't matter what's going on in their life. It doesn't matter where you are. It's just, I've got to get it out there. I've got to say it. I've got to do it. This approach is design-centred. So there's not a lot of follow-up. There's not a lot of discipleship that happens in this approach. And redskins aren't aren't too difficult to identify. You can usually see them or hear them counting out loud the scalps that they've got on their belt, or you can see them shooting their next flaming arrow into the wagon train that's coming along day or night. It's a pretty out-there kind of approach. Another one that's going around, I'm going to call it the Harvard approach or the university approach. It's fairly different to the previous one. The thinking behind this method is you know, let's discuss and let's talk about all the world religions. And since it's reason-centred, it, it attracts the intellectuals, both those that are and those that wish they were. And, and invariably, you tend to get discussions that, some, that sit between Baha'i and Buddhism. They might talk about, you know, the, whether there should be chaplains in state high schools. They talk about the, the role of Islam and its movement in the 21st century and everything in between. Everything gets a platform, everything gets discussion. And whilst this approach is really educational, and yes, you can come out with some, some fantastic knowledge and feel like it's been really good intellectually and quite stimulating, there's one setback. Generally, no one gets saved in these. Because specifics around salvation by grace through faith are frowned upon discussion around forgiveness of sins, around the work of the cross, around, um, around God's resurrection. I'm not talked about, they're about as welcome as probably a life-size poster of Martin Luther in the Vatican. <laughs> but of, of all three, I think this approach is probably one that we would sit with, or that the majority of Western society and Western Christians would sit with the best. And it's pretty popular and I think we've swallowed one of Satan's nicest, most juiciest little titbits and it's the mute approach which promotes that I'll just be a silent witness for God and I'll let my life talk for me. The best thing that you can say about this approach is that no one ever gets offended because nothing ever gets said. The Christian that uses this approach has taken one of Satan's little morsels and gone with it. All God expects of me is that I'll live a good life, a silent life. And and if someone wants to know about Christ, they'll they'll see my life and they'll come up and ask me. Um, I have to put my hand up and say that I've done that. And, And I can count the people on that amount of fingers that actually ask me about Christ. None. It wasn't until my walk actually matched my talk. And my talk matched my walk that people began to ask. No, by no means am I saying, just saying don't live a godly life. Absolutely, we have to. But what I am saying is that alone does not bring many people into the kingdom of God. Romans 10, what does, what does Paul say out of Romans? He says that faith comes through hearing. Today I want to share another approach and we'll call it the Philip approach. And this is a Christ-centred method that draws on seven principles out of Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. We pro- Most of us probably do this already. And so without probably really formally identifying with it that you do that. This can be used as part of your daily walk. You can use this method with family, with friends, with your work colleagues, with your neighbours, you can use it on a plane, you can use it in a train. I feel like I'm saying like the cat in the hat, so I'll stop there. <laughs> um, um, and it's, it's an easy, relaxed approach that has, that has purpose and it's going somewhere. So let's have a look at it together. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with a very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water and the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, approached or appeared, sorry, at Azotus, and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip was engaged in, uh, in this citywide crusade. And there was some really good stuff happening. In, uh, in verse 5, Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed that Christ, the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, They all paid close attention and said, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Philip was involved in this awesome ministry time and he was doing and involved in some great things. People were seeing signs and wonders of, of this Christ, this living God. When all of a sudden... God, or in some versions it says an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip to go away, to go to another place, to go to Gaza, to a desert area. And in verse 27, it says that Philip started out. And this is the first principle, is that that we need to be available. If God is going to use us, we need to be available for him to to be used. It would have been really easy for Philip to say, God, what am I going to go there? What do I have to go there for? It's here. It's all happening here. I'm involved in great ministry and mission work here. What What do you want me to go somewhere else for? I'm too busy. Look at what's happening. What's going to happen in the desert of Gaza? What's happening in your own lives right now? Is there so much happening that you can't hear the voice of God speak to you? Or is there so much happening that when you do hear the voice of God, you say, God, I'm too busy. There's so much going on right now, right here. I'm not able to go and do that, what you're asking. Maybe you're afraid of what he's going to say. So if I do the blockout approach, put the blinkers on and don't see anything, I'll be okay. God can only use us for the work of his mission when we're available to be used by him. Philip then encountered an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official on his way home. And we read that he was reading in the chariot. He wasn't reading The Sunday Age. He wasn't reading a Tom Clancy novel. He wasn't reading some important documents um, or reports that he would be using when he got back to his work environment. Of all the things that he could have been reading, he was reading Isaiah. What a divine appointment. And I wonder how this story would have read and would have finished if, if Philip had said, uh, sorry, God, look, um, it's Wednesday. The, the mission thing that we've got going here really doesn't finish till Friday. Um, by the time we've packed up um, before um, Sabbath, yeah, look, I'm probably, I could probably start moving at about 3 o'clock Friday afternoon. Hope that's okay. Completely different story. And who knows what that Ethiopian eunuch might have gone back without. And who knows how that has been part of, the, of where Africa is today. Or because one person said, yeah, God, I'm available today. I can drop what I'm doing. I can drop my agenda and I can pick up yours. Philip then, in the next verse, in verse 29, read the, that the Spirit of God prompted Philip to go. To get up close to this, to this chariot, to, to the Ethiopian. At that stage he probably didn't know what he was what was being read, or if he was reading, they probably would have, I'm guessing chariots probably kick up a bit of dust as they're going down the road. Probably not a nice hot mix, asphalt. Um, but he knew that God wanted him closer. He knew that God wanted him to move up and get near the action. And I don't know about you, but I know that when in my life, when when God says something and I obey and I know that, you know, there's that divine appointment taking place. Something happens and you get excited. My heart starts to beat a bit quicker. My, my mouth starts to go a bit dry. My hands get a bit sweaty. I wonder if Philip felt the same when God told him to get closer. And that's the second principle this morning is that we need to allow ourselves to be led by God's Spirit we don't have any insight into the mind of Philip, but the passage reads as though from that prompting he had to move fairly quick in his response. And that's the third principle this morning, is that we need to be obedient. If, if we obey God, then things are going to happen and they're going to happen in his timing and his, I know that his timing is perfect and it's way better than mine. So Philip runs up to the chariot. I don't know much about chariots, I was watching Top Gear last night, hoping that Jeremy might have done a thing on chariots, but there was nothing. I haven't seen anything done by Top Gear on chariots, but although there are some very nice vehicles. Last night's were almost chariots. They were vans. Um, but I would assume that with chariots, there is an essence of speed, whether that is they're being drawn by horses. Hey, horsepower, yeah. Um, maybe one, maybe two, maybe many. I guess if he was fairly important, maybe many. But it would have been moving. So in his need for obedience, there was probably a need for urgency, not, okay, God, I need to have a think about this before I be obedient, look at the costs, weigh them up and then make a decision. This chariot's on a road going somewhere and if he wasn't ready to go now, he may have missed the... Well, not the boat, he may have missed the chariot. (laughs) Because, I don't know, look, maybe he was on foot, maybe he was on a horse, it doesn't say. But he probably had to move quick, and so he did. He took behind, he took the most of that opportunity and went up close. And when he went up close, he heard a man reading aloud and he calmly asked the man. He said, do you understand what you're reading? What a great opening to a divine appointment. And that's our fourth principle, when we need to have a good opening or a proper opening. There are many things that Philip probably could have said at the opening of that conversation. Hey, nice chariot, does it come in a wagon? (laughs) It hasn't rained in a while in Gaza, has it? Do you know what the long-term forecast is? What do you do for a crust? Are they your personal slaves or do they come with the job? or a number of other things that you could think of. He didn't barge in. He didn't just start preaching at this guy. He didn't crank out some random comment. But he quickly found an opening that would go in the direction that God wanted it to go. It was a logical question, but more importantly, it was a leading question. And the official immediately invited him into his chariot to join him and help him in his understanding. And, and Philip, in his response to go into this chariot, uses tact. And that's our fifth principle, is we need to be tactful. Even though he had a foot in the door, he remained gracious, he remained courteous, he was a good listener, and at the same time, he was open and sensitive to the moment when he could step in and be specific in, about faith concerning the Lord. And that's principle six. When... When the opportunity arises, it's time to open your mouth and be specific. There wasn't any vague dialogue about religion. He spoke of the main issue, and that was Jesus Christ. And, and then the final few verses, we, as we read before, there's this brief but, but memorable follow-up where the, where the Ethiopian is baptised. And, and that's the final point today, the importance of follow-up. Without some kind of follow-up, all of our previous effort can be laid to waste. The way that a person goes from a seed to a seedling to a flower and to a mature tree that bears fruit is generally dependent on the follow-up that takes place over earlier works and earlier efforts. This can take a number of different themes and that's often determined predominantly by the environment, by the resources, by the circumstances that are available. And, and what we're looking at with, um, with, the, with our work in, in Malawi is this, this training of leaders is, is discipleship and, and follow-up. It's, it's also taking people from those early, um, early places in their spiritual journey to be mature trees. It's about them growing and standing, being able to stand on their own two feet and being able to carry on that process when, when us whiteys leave. It's a great opportunity. This morning was, was an opportunity for each of us to go, well, how do I do mission? How, do I, how am I involved in my own mission, in God's mission for me here in Aubrey-Wodonga? Here in Victoria, here in Australia, here in this universe. To be able to to speak to someone purposefully about, about Christ based on our own life is is a valuable tool and and it's such an awesome privilege when we have a chance to do it. So when it comes to mission, how is God going to use you? How has he been speaking to you this morning? Have your spiritual ears been turned on to listen to his voice and what it might be saying to you? Where are you being faithful? What are the areas where you need to address in order to to become better that you need to work on? Are there opportunities where you can apply these principles? How does mission fit with your life? During this month, there will be many opportunities for you as individuals, as small groups, as families, and corporately as a church to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be open to the opportunities of mission. There will be things that you can do from the comfort of your own home. There will be things that you can do that will stretch you greater than an elastic band. But there will be opportunities. This month we are looking at leadership development amongst the Yao. In your uh, little thing it talks about hundred dollars. One person for one year costs one hundred dollars to train and that, in, and that is going to cover their accommodation. That is going to cover their food. That is going to cover their materials that they would use um, for their training. It's going to cover their transportation. Many of them If they're living on 50 cents a day or less for a whole family, they're not going to have money to get there. And if they're living within a 200k radius, that's that's a pretty long walk or a pretty long bike ride or a pretty long hitching a ride in some other kind of way. One 80 gig iPod is going to pay for about four four litres. One average size plasma TV is going to pay for eight, nine, ten plus litres. One upgraded, high-tech, whiz mobile phone is going to pay for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. 12, keep going, leaders. We've got an opportunity to invest this month into something that will have lasting, lasting, lasting effects on the Yao people, Malawi people, our world. How will you get involved? Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, we are so fortunate here in this country. We have so much. Father, I pray that this month as we hear from, from many different people about mission, about counting the cost, Lord, that you would help us to step outside of our comfort zone and become a people of faith that are willing to step outside of what we know and step into new realms of what we don't know. Stepping off a cliff, not knowing what we're going to land on. Father, thank you for this morning and and the way that you have spoken to me personally again about mission about the call that comes out of a spiritual connection rather than anything else father i pray that you would continue to make us passionate people in love with you and that what we would do we would do out of a love relationship god rather than out of any other kind of rule or obligation Father, we bless you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.